Now, usually I say, hi, internet, because we're a podcast. Uh, but I guess we can say, hi, Philadelphia. Yay! Round of applause for live shows. <laughs> so uh, we're unboxing story. Uh, we unpack fiction without the friction. It's kind of our idea is that... He has a new tagline every time we start, <laughs> I swear. Yeah, that's the latest one. I'm, I'm sticking to this one. <laughs> My main point with the podcast is uh, Melissa and I have very different tastes. In, in reading, in writing, in watching movies and, and whatnot, but we actually grow as readers and viewers by sharing what we like, what dislike. Uh, and as somebody that's interested in writing myself, I feel like that should be the, the way that fandom works. If you see somebody that likes Star Wars and you like Star Trek, there's no reason to get angry at that person and like, <laughs> like you're the devil because i like star trek and you're an idiot and you just want to see stuff blow up um but that's not you know like we're all geeks here so like why can't we all just get along so um this podcast is going to be about uh dark phoenix um melissa actually was the impetus for this so explain a little bit about what interested you in dark in the phoenix in general like what was the spark that got you got me interested got you interested um so i grew up watching the x-men cartoon on saturday mornings and i thought it was a fascinating idea that um that she kind of had this outside influence in in showing her that she was stronger than she thought she was um and then there's been multiple iterations since then obviously and so i wanted to actually finally read the original (laughs) version of it um so i ordered the the book um because I did love the uh, the original X Men trilogy movies as well, where they did her and Wolverine and that whole thing. Um, but I knew it couldn't. That was a more of a modern take mm-hmm. on what was going on. So I wanted to see, you know, what the original version had been, what the the underlying feelings were for it. Because nowadays you can almost consider it a very like female empowerment sort of story. Um, but I know. I was thinking probably in the 70s it might not have been the same thing, but it kind of was. So mm-hmm. it was it was interesting to see what the what the difference was between then and now um, in the storylines. Yeah, because um, so my expectations going into it is are based on how the X Men have interpreted Jean Grey throughout the, the other comics after Dark Phoenix Saga, and so I think one thing that I really hated about those storylines was that it seemed like it would always work the same way. Like, Dark Phoenix dies, sacrifices herself, gets resurrected, and then uh, Cyclops and Wolverine fight over her. (laughs) And it's like, it's more about like this weird love triangle than it is about like the actual characters and anything interesting about Jean Grey herself. Um, And so we're gonna get into the modern, uh, one of the most recent adaptations, X-Men Red, that it more focuses on Jean and what having that much power means to her and not necessarily having it be a negative thing. Um, but as far as the Dark Phoenix saga goes, I was going into, I hadn't read it before, and I was going into it thinking, like, I need to be a little bit objective because all I'm thinking is that this is going to be, you know, oh, woe is me. I have the power of a thousand sons and, <laughs> like, a bunch of people arguing about what to do with her because she has this much power. Uh, But what I liked about it is that 
initially it's so it sets up that the reason why she's starting to have problems is that Jason Wingard is of the Hellfire Club is uh, trying to control her mind and wants to get her to be like his puppet. And so at first I was like, well, if she's so powerful, then why, how, why is this a problem? And why is it framing it as this dude can just use her for his benefit? And it's this weird like dichotomy of like, if she's so powerful, this wouldn't be a problem, but it's defining her power as just a vessel for this Welcome. A vessel for this guy to use for his own means. Right. And so it was kind of annoying because it's like... I didn't like them. Yeah. (laughs) It was just like... And I understand why they're not part of any of the modern retellings. It's a very... Of the time thing. Yeah, of the time sort of part of the story. Because And it also, it has this weird thing where it wants the Hellfire Club to be this exclusive, like, New York club that, like, all the rich people want to be in. And also kind of like a masochistic like sex dungeon thing. I don't know what's going on with that. And I'm, it's kind of weird to try to have it do both. Um, so it, I was weirded out by that and, and confused as to why wh- like why do people respond to this so much if all this is is she's getting manipulated by this guy and she thinks that she's in she also thinks she's in the 1800s uh, or 1700s she's like she pictures herself in this like gown and stuff um, and so, but then as it went on, you start getting more of this hint of this is a problem that Jean has uh, experienced throughout her life. She has this, all of this power, and she had already made the transition before this comic to Phoenix to show that she has this insurmountable, like, you know, all of this power that she doesn't know what to do with. And then. Dark Phoenix is just a logical next step of if somebody is this powerful where they can destroy planets and, and all this stuff, it's going to corrupt her eventually. Um, now, I, I looked up some uh, quotes because I have a book called uh, Marvel, The Untold Story, and I wanted to get some kind of historical context to how people reacted to the story. First off, Jim Shooter was the editor-in-chief when this was published around 1980, and when he found out that they weren't going to kill her off at the end of the saga, he said, that's like capturing Hitler alive at the end of World War II and letting him go live on Long Long Island. And I just thought that was funny because that was another thing that I was thinking going into the Dark Phoenix saga was she better, they better, like... Better own up to what she's doing. There better be consequences. Like, if she's going to be this new, like, anti-hero... You, I would hope that the X-Men would, like, eventually have to fight her and, like, have her treat her like a villain. If she's going to destroy planets, then do something, something about it. Um, comics fandom wrote that it was, like, uh, Lady Macbeth and Desdemona were the same person. Um, and so that's a little bit of a glimpse of what the reaction was in fandom. So you had people like that that were, like, overwhelmingly praising this as, like, a feat in comics and then also Chris Claremont was getting death threats so there were like people that hated that they killed her off that um, that it had went that it had gone down like that so uh, I'm gonna get into my two cents (laughs) okay what my my opinion is of Phoenix in general Um, 
I kind of in my mind was thinking about Jack Sparrow and the Pirates of the Caribbean universe. And the I know it's a weird analogy, but <laughs> I was thinking like Jack Sparrow was supposed to be this morally gray character. Like he puts people's lives at risk and it's not necessarily something that he has to pay for. He's just this like charismatic dude that can get away with it. And so I can see why people would feel that way about Phoenix, that, like, if she's going to be this, uh, you know, if she's going to do this and, like, destroy planets and stuff, you can't have her still be this, like, symbol of what she used to be, which was a hero. Um, But I personally think that they did it well, the transition from hero to um, anti-hero to villain. Um, And Chris Claremont... It's my first time reading him. I really thought that he did it well with how, like, the X-Men have to deal with what's happening. And, um, yeah. So that's my two cents. Okay. So I like that you brought up the point about her dying at the end of the Dark Phoenix part. Um, I didn't realize how crucial that was to making this story important until we went to see the movie version, the new movie. Mm Mm-hmm. How many people here have seen, have you the, seen the new Dark Phoenix, Dark yet? Phoenix movie? Does anybody care if we spoil the endings? <laughs> Not like you don't know the story generally, <laughs> right? Okay, so in the new movie, they cheated, and they came up with a character that was more of a villain than her, right? So there's her, and then there is the alien that has come to, to take the Phoenix power from her and destroy Earth. So they made something worse than just Jean Grey as the Phoenix. And worse than Jason Wingard, in my opinion. Right, worse than uh, anything else that was in the story at this point. So instead of, you know, Jean Grey becoming this all-powerful, terrifying thing that goes up and eats a star and destroys a whole world with tons of people on it and doesn't care, there's now this other creature that is that person and not her. And I think it, it lessens the impact of what the Phoenix is, right? It lessens the idea that this is some big, all-powerful force and that somehow... Um, it's not really Jean Grey doing this. It's something else in her that's causing all of this to happen. Because um, in, in the way it goes in Dark Phoenix, it is like her and this force, or she is this force, mm. and she just herself turns into this terrifying thing. Right. And then accepts that she needs to die and lets herself die. Yeah. And what, what, one thing that I like about the drama of it is that the idea that, like, she is overwhelmingly powerful and seduced by the Phoenix to become like a Galactus level threat to the Marvel Universe. But at the same time, she's experiencing so much pain because she doesn't want to be doing this. And so I thought it did a good job of showing a character who um, is, has this like angst from like this is what angst should be like <laughs> there should be a reason if Nobody it's does angsty. angst like we did in the 80s man yeah the 80s <laughs> had all the good angst yeah. so like obviously if you're just like killing people that you love left and right there's a reason to be a little bit upset um and so it does that really well the second two cents that i have is that storm is an archetype among friendly racists um because it's a weird thing because it's obviously a white guy writing the comic and they're not necessarily as sensitive as you would be now about having a, a diverse character in your team. And so every five seconds, somebody's saying, this woman is black and also beautiful. 
as if that's like news, like you can't be black and beautiful at the same time. And so it's a weird, it's a weird thing to have her be just just archetypal character. But that's what I'll say in its defense is that there are a lot of stuff, there's a lot of things in here where, uh, especially towards the end, she says like, Jean Grey is like my sister. Like I didn't have, I was all alone in Africa as this like goddess queen and this is my family. If I'm gonna, you know, if they're gonna fight Jean Grey, I wanna be there to defend her. And so she comes up as like this archetypal character where like there is something to her character. She's not just there to be um, a stereotype, but there's still a lot of really awkward, there's a lot of awkward, like, what would you call it? <laughs> <laughs> um, like there's a lot of interactions that are awkward because like, like at the beginning, that, it's, not even Pride's... Just, it's not even just the racist stuff, stuff about women in general, because it is still, Oh yeah. it still felt like there were certain things that they said that you would not get away with saying now yeah. or putting into a comic now. So there, there is some of, I mean, you have to take things with the times that they're written in, you know, I mean, but it was just not that weird. I'm saying it's right, but that's the time Kitty, that Kitty Pride's like, there are people like you at my school. And it's like, <laughs> did she think that? I forgot that. Part. Yeah. The, the first ah. thing she says to her is that like, we have black people in our school, and yeah. it's like, okay, that's nice, Kitty. Like, right, thanks, kid. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> um, I, I will say I am happy that they put Dazzler into the new movie, because, like, I had never heard of that character before I saw this, and Dazzler is this, like, disco-fantastic X-Man that so, makes, like... I'm going to turn to the page the, so like, you can see. The, like, disco ball light show happen. That's, like, her mutant power. She makes the disco ball light show thing. It's just was yeah. fascinating to me, and I am happy that she actually appeared in the movie i i, I can't tell funny. whether that was supposed to be like a parody of disco because by that because point like, it, it was kind of was it on the way out yet? yeah i, don't I, I would just i would assume plus she had like roller roller skate wheels that like popped out of her shoes when she was running around Ta-da, the dazzler she was she was it was interesting <laughs> yeah. so uh what we're going to do now is we have a new segment on our show called siren song and it's going to be a segment where uh, my sister is going to come up with different songs that we're going to talk about. Uh, our influence have influenced us, uh, but usually it'll be attached to some kind of story that we both really like. Um, and so what was the process of doing, doing this parody like? So we, we knew we were going to start this sort of thing soon. And... Um, I knew that this was going to be the topic for tonight, so I was trying to, for tonight, for this morning. Um, and I wanted to, you know, come up with a song about the Phoenix. But um, then John suggested, like, oh, you should totally do it to um, Sound, Sound of, of Silence. Silence. And I'm like, that's brave. I don't know if we can go there. But um, the more I got into what the Phoenix means and the amount of anger that she had going on into this story, it made more sense. So I am going to uh, sing this for you, and he's going to hit the drum when he feels like it. Protect us from our joy and rage. But the power that I planted in your brain. 
I had no name Spark of life devouring flame My voice echoed through the starred expanse Life and death were my eternal dance When my song was joined by the voices of humankind for my sister <laughs> all right so now she's gonna take the floor because uh she liked dark phoenix so much that she got and i was like oh hey they have a new gene gray comic out. i should like read that so um i ordered both parts of x-men red and started reading and was immediately confused one because because <laughs> <laughs> i hadn't read any x-men in, in a like other than that one in forever and that one, I don't know if you've read comics from that era, but they explain everything, like every other page. If you had, you, you don't know what we're talking about. Yeah, just in issue. case you don't know what Jean Grey's powers are, here's a list. You know, <laughs> they, they explain all of it a lot. This one, they leave a lot more to, you know, assuming that you know more of this stuff. Um, they did explain some of it, because when she comes back, there is apparently either she's in an alternate version, or there's alternate, like it's not her Logan, it's not the regular Wolverine. It's not her Scott. Like which I'm trying to figure out exactly which version of who is there. The first one starts with an annual. And usually with an annual, you get a lot of background information. But it was just like, uh, she talks to a lot of, of the team. Like they all come back, back and meet her because she's back and she hasn't been back. And she's like, I'm not the Phoenix anymore. I'm okay. Don't kill but me. But then it's, it just but, drops stuff like, oh yeah, you're the alternate reality version of this of other this guy. character. And, I'm like, and it's like, okay. well, that doesn't help me at all. And then it involves a lot of their 
character's children. So Wolverine has two daughters, um, one of which is powered like he is. The other one doesn't feel pain. Mm. Um, and then Jean Grey has a daughter. I'm assuming it's, his, it's her daughter with Scott, but I don't know if it's actually her daughter or if it's the alternate Scott and Jean Grey's daughter. <laughs> Whatever. It's and is it their daughter from the future? Because they've done that before. Right. I don't know. Um, but she comes back and has a new plan on how to deal with uh, the hatred of mutants in the world. And rather than fight everyone, she wants to use her abilities to help everyone understand that they're not all as different as they think. Right? They, she wants them to see we are all people and we all need to treat each other like people and I'm going to do this without fighting anybody. It's her idea. Um, she meets up with some very interesting other mutants that are new. I'm assuming the, the techno wizard chick is new. Um, and they go around trying to, basically it's like a big PR campaign and social media and all this other stuff of trying to like, you know, we're going to integrate ourselves into society better and we're not going to start fights. But uh, Charles Xavier apparently has an evil twin. And <laughs> she shows up and causes mayhem. Um, I thought the introduction of uh, the Sentinites, so they're programmed like Sentinels to destroy mutants, but they're nanites. And that was probably my favorite. Infect your mind. Thing about it, yeah, because they're it's kind of a metaphor for hate. Like the Sentinites get in you, and they program they reprogram you. So anything, uh, any like a random person could be infected and. Nobody, there's no visible sign of them. Right, until the, a mutant shows up and they're like, kill the mutant! Yeah. Automatically. Um, so they have to fight somewhat because obviously there's all these people that now hate them and are trying to attack them. Um, they go to Atlantis a lot, so that's fun, <laughs> um, to sort of like start their own little mutant utopia. Um, but it, it all keeps falling apart. Every time she tries to do it without having to fight anybody, it just keeps ending in conflict um but i i really enjoyed the uh the kind of new like snarkiness of things like jean was very much her own person more in this because mm. she's not stuck in the love triangle with scott and logan and she's kind of just there as herself this is my plan um yeah she's the leader of the team essentially right in a way that she was In a way that she before. hasn't been before. So it was neat to see her shine in that new position. I liked that the idea was not conflict, because usually most, I mean, it's a comic book story. You're expecting people to go beat each other up. But um, she wanted to be a much more about, no, we, we, need to, we need this to be about how people see us. We need this to be about understanding where everyone's coming from in this conflict in order to make it go away. Um, and then just for fun, they had taken over a sentinel because they have this mutant that can uh, reprogram stuff with their mind. So they take one, they steal a big sentinel, and the kids paint it with like flowers and rainbows and stuff, and they make it their own. This is our, you know, sentinel of happiness. We're not going to be about fighting people. We're just going to show up and, and be cool. And um, so I know uh, you had brought up that a lot of people are getting, a lot of comics are getting um, flack for being very social justice centered. But part of it is I think they're they're trying to get the younger audience interested. And I know a lot of younger folks are much more into trying to get this equality working and trying to make this happen 
in society. Um, but at the same time, X-Men's kind of always been about social equality mm -hmm. and not hating something that's different than you, and that's kind of the point of their, mm -hmm. their whole scheme. So doing that in, in this didn't bother me anyway. There might be other comics where that's like, I mean, you're trying to do that in a Punisher comic. I could understand you'd be upset, but like, <laughs> but this one, you know, not Who doesn't want to see Punisher steal a sentinel and paint it and with paint rainbows? paint it with rainbows? Like, I mean, <laughs> put some rainbows over the skull on his shirt. It'd be interesting. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. Um, <sighs> but yeah, so I, I really enjoyed having her be her own person. Yeah. I think that's my, my favorite thing about X-Men Red is that she, and, and it, act, it actually gives us a, a story purpose for being X-Men Red. They put on red outfits that make them invulnerable to the sentinites so like the fact that she is the most powerful telepath she can actually deprogram people and so there's she is the only one that can fight these things and lead this x-men team um i would say the biggest criticism that i would have of it is that i think what makes phoenix so interesting to me is that there is some kind of darkness inside of her and it seems like the direction that they're taking is that she's more like a Captain America type character where there's, she now is the beacon of hope for the X-Men. Right. And so while I wouldn't like agree with the whole comic skater thing of like, if somebody's talking about equality, they're the devil. Um, <laughs> like that, that's what, like to your point, that's what it's always been about. That's what X-Men have always stood for. Um, so even more than in, in general, they're allowed to be heroes. Like that's the whole point of their comic is about equality and And it's not that tolerance. they they didn't um, deplete her power at all. There's still scenes where she literally like stops everybody there, mm -hmm. like freezes them all, like Professor X like to do, where you like freeze time and everybody's just stopped. So she has still incredible amounts of power and could, if she wanted to, hurt them all, mm -hmm. but chooses not to. Right, and so, so that's it's, that's it's where different... the drama turns. Excuse me, is that rather than it being about, oh, she can't control herself, it's more now about she could just wipe everybody's mind and like do all this heinous stuff, but she's more, she's grown from that right. and is now able to you know, start this new era of X-Men where- And I know a lot of people were, well, not a lot of people. Whenever I play, I play RPGs a lot and I like to play mental telepathy type characters, right? And they get all fussy about uh, you messing with other people's heads, which is understandable. You're not supposed to try and control somebody else's head. But at the same time, you are trying to change someone else's mind, right? Mm -hmm. I read a, a, do you ever read The Oatmeal? Oh, yeah. I don't know if you've ever read anything by The Oatmeal. He does some very fun little... Web comics. Web comic strip things. And um, he had one about what happens in your brain when someone challenges one of your core beliefs. And apparently your brain cannot tell the difference between your belief being challenged and your life, physical life being challenged. Your brain reacts the same way of like, warning, warning, danger, and you like freak out, which is why a lot of people's instant reaction, especially on the internet where you can post instant reactions, is to like freak out and scream and blast the other person because you feel like your life is being threatened. Mm. Um, but he says, when your mind does this, you just let it scream for a minute <laughs> and then realize you're not gonna die Someone's just trying to change your mind and chill out and, and evaluate things. And sometimes you will change, right? So it is kind of a weird play on, I mean, obviously you're not like going into someone else's head and changing 
them yourself. But this picture of her smacking people in the face with, look at this person's life, right? This person is the same as you. They go up, they get up, they eat breakfast every day, they have kids, they put their pants on, same way you do. They're still human beings and we all deserve to be treated that way is a, is a really strong theme. theme. For, for this whole thing. It's, yeah. I thought it was really well done. Yeah, because when, when Wonder Woman came out and everybody, not everybody, like, <laughs> like that's kind of your go-to nowadays, but um, there was all this nonsensical um, outrage about, well, she, you know, a woman shouldn't be depicted as wearing armor and fighting like a man does. And what was odd to me is that liking Batman and Spider-Man and the comics it's not like I go dress in my underwear and fight, like, bad guys. <laughs> so, like, I didn't understand why people's lack of imagination wouldn't allow them to have a woman have that place of, like, power. Because it's not as if they're trying to get anybody to go out, put on armor, and fight literal Nazis. Um, but it's weird in a time when there are little literal Nazis to, like, not address that. And especially in a book like X-Men. Um and I thought it was a good way of introducing that into young people's lives, reading the comics is, you know, these people are infected by something. And if you're powerful enough, you might actually be able to change them from the inside out. And so I, I thought it was a good strategy to go with. Um, now, what, what do you think, if anything, is lost from this Dark Phoenix era? Like, do you think that there's anything that changed that you think was a negative thing? Because um, for me, like, I, I've i been trying to get her to watch what I call transgressive movies, like Fight Club, The Shining, movies where the main character going down a dark path is, like, that's the whole point of it. Like, there is not really a hero. There's just a bad guy that you're following throughout the whole movie. And so... That really resonates with me because, like I said, what I think is missing in some of these things is that these characters are now only heroes because if you're against hate, then that automatically makes you a good guy. Um, so is there anything that you miss from this comic that you would write, like to be in this? Well, I think there is a lot of fear about making your good guys have flaws uh -huh. or have be willing to make bad choices. Um, like for example, what they did with the new Phoenix movie, where they they were trying to kept they repeatedly kept saying it's not her, it's not her. I was like, well, at some point it is her. Like she's still in there and she's still doing these things. Um, the I think sometimes they are brave enough to do it. Like so they did keep um, Iron Man kind of going off the deep end for Civil War when they mm -hmm. did the Avenger movies. Like he was wrong and they weren't afraid to make him wrong. Um, but they do need to show, I think, that heroes make wrong choices and what happens when they do. It's, it's. Um, well, I don't want to get open too big of a can of worms with that, but I was going to go into how there's a lot of, of push now to call out people for being wrong, but there's nothing to do with them afterwards. Like you call someone for being out for being wrong and then they get fired and you never hear about them again. It's like you have to at some point say, okay, this guy did something wrong and he's sorry and you need to forgive him for that and let him try and change, you know? So to show a hero make wrong choices and then come back from that, I think is an important story to show. 
and to to not just be like well they messed up once they're done because everybody messes up somewhere and that is also part of being a hero is you mess up and you take you own that you messed up and you move on mm. anyway yeah. but I, I didn't want to go into too much of the <laughs> but craziness from aside that. from political stuff in, tem- in terms of the style like i really like like look at the colors in this book right i know <laughs> i love how uh back back in the day back in my day that's before your day what you talking about <laughs> Um, for his day, not before A lot of mine. the colors really <laughs> they, pop. They know. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> like, the colors would really pop in, like, right. this. These as opposed as, to as, uh, the, the inception of digital, like, yeah. radiant makes it a little bit more, like, it doesn't, it doesn't, like, reading this, I was just like, ooh, there's all these colors. Wow. Awesome. Um, and there's a lot of, like, like, imagery within the text, within, like, narration, that I personally like from like 80s, 70s and 80s comics that haven't really seemed to have moved on. Like captioning now is more like, this is how I feel, or like this is what the character's thinking about. But like this ha- this actually this has- This moves the plot a lot better in the dialogue in, yeah, uh, in Chris itself. Chris Claremont has like a- uh, He's like an omniscient narrator. So he's saying like, you know, it was a dark, stormy night outside of the X Mansion and stuff like that, and that gets really like, it it sets a scene a little bit with words and pictures. You don't just have to rely on the art, um, and so I think that like some of the art, it like there are things that have improved in art style since this time, um, but there's a lot of that stuff that because I so I don't know who bought it for me, but somebody bought me like 60 years of spider-man and so i have them all in like cd-rom and so i have read a lot of like classic stanley spider-man um and so that's there are a lot of the things from that era and other classic comics that i have that i really like so uh, are there things that you think have changed since this era that you oh a lot but yeah but but like what do you think are like what are things that you like and when things that you don't. I don't know. It's hard to say because as, as we try to write novels, we are always told that you're supposed to show things and not tell things. Right. But in a comic, most of what you need to show is literally shown like you have pictures. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So um, there's a different reason for the dialogue and the descriptions to be there. Uh-huh. And I don't know that this has really found it yet. Like mm-hmm. that, I think, was too much. Uh-huh. Like it's like, yeah, I, I know. Like, you don't have to tell yeah, me every five pages. Uh, there's a bunch of action stuff where, the like, Wolverine's thinking, I need to lunge at him. And it shows <laughs> and him lunging at him. And then it shows him lunging at him. You're like, yeah, I got that part. Yeah. <laughs> but this, then, I think, was lacking some, because you're right, it does show a lot of what their inner emotions are, which are good. But then there was a lot of stuff that I'm just like, wait, what just happened? I don't, I missed it. Mm-hmm. Let me go, what happened? Yeah. So it, they're still, I think, working on the perfect balance there. Mm-hmm. I mean, the only ones I've seen that really do it insanely well is because they're being funny about it. So, like, Deadpool, because he's got crazy, you know, multiple inner voices going. Like, you can just make that hilarious. And it doesn't matter if they're telling you too much stuff. It's because he's arguing with himself about whatever. <laughs> so it's it's a tricky thing to get the balance on. Um, so let's talk about some of the characters like Kitty Pride. I liked the... She's introduced in this um, for the first time. And uh, it's interesting to get... Um, that like I like the contrast of those two characters 
like Jean Grey is this super powerful mutant that is kind of being treated like a child in some ways, but then Kitty Pride is a kid. Yeah. And so and her, has no idea what's going on. Yeah, and, and so they did a good job, I think, of writing a teenager that's like going through, you know, a bunch of changes. <laughs> and so like it, it starts to have that feeling of like she's new to the team, she's somebody that they're all trying to protect. And so when she is in the one mission, it's like, you know, um, you get you get within it like that Wolverine, Storm, Colossus are all new X Men, but also like they're all transitioning into adulthood. Like they're making this idea of like Xavier is kind of messed up because Scott's actually becoming the leader that he trained him to be, and so he has all this angst of like. But I want to be out there with them. It's like, but you train Cyclops to like, do this. You want like, him to take over. Why are you getting up. so pissed off that he's making his own decisions? And I will admit, I miss Scott being a leader. Because in the movies, that was one thing I didn't like about yeah. the movie version. Movies are really screwed they, up. They Cyclops. made Scott very wussy. <laughs> and I'm like, he's the Cyclops. He's not a wuss. He's the leader of your group. Why are you treating him like he's... And that's the nobody? funny thing. is, It's another thing that I wrote down is that uh, it wasn't until 1982 that Frank Miller did his Wolverine run and the popularity of that character started booming um and so I think what happened in the comics and in the movies was okay Wolverine is this rugged hairy guy who all the women love and so let's make him a love interest for Jean and so Cyclops gets then demoted just by default um because everybody likes Wolverine but I think the character is still very strong, Cyclops, like, he, he is a leader, and the whole, his whole arc is about, and that, that was interesting later on in this, he's talking about Gene keeps his rays back in his eyes, and so he's able to take off his glasses, but it's actually, he, it makes him a good foil for her, because he has all this power that he has to contain all the time, that's his whole that's his whole emotional state all the time is I need to restrain this so that nobody dies and um, it makes it so that like she has to do that now and there's this kind of conflict between them where um, she doesn't want to live like that, live like the way that he does where he always has to restrain himself and so I thought that that was a very adult thing from this that like they, they both love each other and it never it never gets to the point where like Psychops like shaming her like well I do this all the time so get with the program <laughs> it's, it's like no I love you I'm always going to be on your side but but you're, you just she, ate a planet but she's, we need to do this she's thinking like I can't do this all the time like you do um, so so yeah so I, I dug and that's another thing is that they're they're very unabashed about the fact that they're like lovers and that yeah. they're together but it doesn't it's not in your face where it's like them lounging about in like (laughs) you know like uh yeah staffy and weird you know luxury like they're they're both just a couple and they're allowed to be a couple and wolverine's not always hanging out behind them like you know the minute that she he dumps you (laughs) i'm I'm there nope and so yeah so i i like that stuff there any there any other final thoughts you have Nope, I think that's it. All right. Well, thank you guys for showing up. Thank you very much. Round of applause again for 
live show success. Uh, and uh, we're unboxing story again, if you want to look us up. Um, I have a novel out called Cain and Abel. You can find that on Amazon uh, under Jonathan Matos, my name. Um, you have anything you want to plug? Um, you can find some of my writings on momtoast.com. It's my website. And uh, so we are on iTunes. Yes. And lots of other podcast services. Um, we are also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, wherever you want to find us. So yeah, at a boxing story. Feel free to discuss things we'd like to involve the audience more too. So. Yeah. And you can uh, email us at unboxingstorypodcast at gmail if you want to reach us. Uh, otherwise, thanks for showing up. Yeah, thank you. And uh, hopefully, we'll talk to you online sometime. Okay.